Ladies and gents, welcome back to another Engineers podcast. Today I'm joined by uh, two engineers at Birdie, Tim and Marin. Uh, Tim is very kindly going to give us a solid intro into Birdie. They're exploring a real poignant and social mission at the moment, all-in-one healthcare software for home care. And we're actually going to break that down into a number of different sections and really explore uh, the mobile app in further detail. And they've been on a bit of a journey, which I think has been a really interesting one to try and understand how to give a better, seamless user experience uh, for people actually using the platform. Chaps, thanks for coming to join us. Thank you for having us. Absolute pleasure. Tim, you go first because I know you've been with the business now nearly five years. You can give us a really good intro into Birdie. You can give us a really good intro into what's changed over those five years, engineering-wise as well. Cool, yeah. Um, so Birdie's mission at its core is to radically improve the lives of older adults in the UK, specifically at least... Recently, it was the UK. We are actually expanding into Germany. Um, but the idea behind that is to address the aging society that's coming up. It's one of the biggest problems I think we're going to face in the future, um, where we have a lot more elderly people living a lot longer. And we're trying to address the um, age curve. So there's a we want a quality longer life. We don't just want longer life for the sake of longer life. Um, yeah. Part of what we want... Uh, part of Birdie's mission is to help care agencies keep elderly people at home so that they can be, uh, they can live longer, more fulfilled lives at home rather than in a care home or other institution. Um, what Birdie does uh, to, to facilitate that is to try and help agencies digitize their care. So a lot of the time back in the day and still currently for some agencies, they use paper. So when they record things like medications, they record incidents or accidents or what have you that's happened to this elderly care recipient uh, it'll be on paper and that'll get picked up at the end of the month and it'll finally make its way back to the office um, only to be reviewed then and you realize actually annie hasn't taken her medication for the first three weeks of this month um, and that's obviously depending on the medication a serious issue um, so what we do is we provide the app the birdie care app uh, which allows carers on the ground to actually report real-time issues or facts about their care so they can record notes, they can record whether medication was taken or not, um, and they can report on all sorts of tasks they perform, changing the bed, helping them eat, that sort of thing. The great thing about this is um, the family also have access to this app, so they can see real-time care happening on the app. They can check it out, they can see that um, their grandmother or their grandfather, whatever, has been cared for that day, and actually they can see what's happened. And certainly that seems to fulfill, that seems to help a lot of people. Um, that's Birdie as a whole. <laughs> uh, yeah, as you say, I've been here for about nearly five years now. I joined in January 2019. Um, and so things have changed quite a bit. I believe I was employee number 26. Uh, and we are about at 180 now. At, at the moment, that number keeps changing. I always get it wrong. It's nearly always higher than what I say. But um, 
it's it's something like that and uh it's really quite amazing how much it's grown and as i say we're moving into the german market now as well or at least hoping to so it's really uh, really kicking off um what what have been some of those prominent changes that you've seen even just business wise changes business wise in terms of like our strategy birdie strategy necessarily strategy i mean just in terms of growth uptake of the platform and how you've evolved as a as a business or how you've evolved as a platform well i can tell you when i joined uh i joined one of three teams engineering teams i'm talking about uh and what bear in mind one of those teams was two guys uh the rest were like engineering split in half and divided into two teams uh so we're talking about 10 people at most um and all of our code was in one place. It was a single monorepo that includes the mobile app, the back end, the front end, everything, which was great for me because I joined and I could immediately like onboard and understand everything that was going on. Um, but certainly as the years have gone on, we've gradually split that up. We've moved things into different uh, code repositories. We've had to break up things like the front end. So that's not one contiguous piece anymore. That's lots of different microservices, micro front ends working together. Um, a lot of the change has come from the fact that we've grown, right? Scaling is hard and um, growth problems. It's always difficult to keep going at the pace that you want to go. You want to deliver more features. You want to build more things, but actually you need to spend time making your service work for more people because it's not going to survive at the level that you built it at three years ago. Um, and yeah. that, that I'd say is the biggest change constantly running. and yeah and and that probably leads us on to where we bring marin into this conversation as well because i think we explored that as a three really early on about you know how how optimal you've made you know the mobile app and where it was you know months back and what's changed so marin do you want to give us an introduction into the mobile journey and just how far the business has come. Sure. Um, well, to, to fully understand it, it's also good to understand that the mobile app was the very first uh, product and piece of code that ever uh, existed for Birdie. Uh, yep. And that is, it is still the same code running today. I mean, with lots and lots of new code added to it, obviously, but uh, there is still nowadays code that is from the very, very early days of Birdie. And that's because before switching to our current model where we um, provide a platform for care agencies who then deliver care, uh, the very first approach for Birdie was to provide software directly to consumers, directly to families uh, to see what's happening for the care of their loved ones. Um, and this code is still running today, and it runs uh, the family side of the app that we have nowadays, um, even though our main focus now are care agencies. And so that just gives a bit of context on all the layers of new features and complexity that has been added over the years on top of that. Um, and during all those years, we've been focusing on delivering lots and lots of new features uh, 
who are actually having a massive impact on the way care is delivered and the quality of the care itself. And all of that was also done with great pace, uh, which means that the performance side of things has sometimes been neglected over the years. Uh, and some technical decisions that have been made in the early days, which made sense at the point, didn't make so much sense years later with many, many more users and a lot more data going through the app. Um, so Yeah, I was, I was going to say, talk to us about some of those changes because we've spoken about them offline and you both are obviously really keen to speak about some of those today. So it'd be great to understand what some of those changes are today and how they differ to when it actually made sense to make those decisions years back. Right. So if you look at a specific piece of um, performance we've worked on that had a, a massive impact and that directly came from an early days decision, which didn't make sense today and which has never really been uh, reconsidered since it really became a big issue, is the way we deal with uh, what we call permissions. It's, um, it's what defines what you're able to see as a user in the app. Um, and that can be, for example, to control a feature that's enabled only for a single agency, or that can be to control what you're allowed to see for a specific client in an agency. So it has all of this granularity. And so this is a system that's been put in place very early on. Um, and at the time, we had maybe 10 to 15 different permissions per users that you have in your app. And so what we did is we added in our uh, state management system, which is Redux, uh, because it's a React Native app. Uh, and we've been using Redux since uh, those days for state uh, management. We've just added an array of uh, string values that represent those permissions. And then every time in the app you want to control, should I display this component or not? Should I display this screen or not? You just look for, oh, can I find this permission in this list of permissions that the current user has? And that was fine. And it stays like that for years. Except that over the years, we introduced lots and lots of features and different permissions and different things that can differ a lot. And the agencies we've started to onboard have been growing as well. Yeah. Um, and with all of that, over the years, we came from an array of values that were maybe 15 to 20 values at most. You can now end up with a thousand times that uh, in yep. this array of permissions value, which means that then also in the app that has now a lot more features, a lot more components being shown up, and each of those checking, do you actually have the right to see me? Um, it means that when you render the home screen, you would have 10 different components all looking for a permission in that array, which it, which can be very, very big. Yep. And um, this led to lots of performance issues, and it was quite hard to, to track down. It was all 
uh, interesting performance and investigation journey. But in the end, so these early decisions made this massive impact and we just yeah. switched the shape of the data to be uh, an object rather than an array so that looking up those permissions got much, much faster and much more scalable. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about these two parts in the podcast. You know, we've spoken about how you've actually improved the performance from days to minutes in the app. And we're going to talk about observability because I think they can go hand in hand and, you know, monitoring some of your success and how optimal your platform is. But one thing I do want to touch on first is you made a really conscious decision to actually double down on your React Native efforts. Do you want to talk to us about that and why you did that? Sure. So the way we've grown as a, an engineering um, part of the, of the company is by dividing into squads that are owning product domains. And in each squad, we have engineers, designers, product managers, etc. And so each squad own a part of yeah the product domain. So it can be in our app, it can be being in charge of everything visit related or everything medication related. Uh, on top of that, to handle the maintenance of technical pieces, we also distributed those technical pieces to the various squads. And as Tim mentioned, in the early days, we didn't have that many different technical uh, parts yep. of infrastructure. We had a web app, a main backend API, and a mobile app. And we had roughly three or four squads, and so each of them yep. owned that and the maintenance of this system on top of their product responsibilities. And over the years, we had more squads, everything became more complicated, but we also started to divide um, our backend and frontend infrastructure. Uh, yep. For our web app, we've started using micro frontends, which added a lot more technical complexity, but also it helped each squad uh, to be in charge of their own parts of the infrastructure of the frontend. And so now the squad that owns the web infrastructure in general only owns the skeleton that holds everything together rather than your app. And we have the same thing for the backend where we move to microservices. Uh, we still have a main uh, API that holds things yeah. together, but same thing, it helps spread the load and the ownership of infrastructure. But we haven't really done that on the mobile app. And for a long time, the squad uh, in which Tim and I were working and was in charge of this mobile app on top of the product responsibilities that we had. And yep. the thing is, the mobile app kept growing in complexity. And with its age, it started to have also a lot of tech debt and performance issues and maintenance needed which meant that we always had to make decisions between completely putting on hold all of our product work just to maintain the app or to just let it be not great and deliver yeah. new features. And so it got to the point where we decided to try having someone just in charge of maintaining the app so that the product squad can keep focusing on product. 
And so I did that. I became this mobile platform engineer. Yeah. And so I was in charge of maintaining the app in general, um, whether it was the developer experience or even just some performance work or dependency upgrades, those sort of things. Yeah. And yeah, we saw some massive improvements thanks to that. All improvements that we knew we wanted to do for a long time, but we just could never justify spending the time on it. It seems like the separation of ownership has been really beneficial for you. Tim, how have you experienced that change as well? Because, you know, that's obviously a difference from where you were five years back, really early stage employee to obviously going through some of how you described the, the people and technical challenges. How have you seen you know, the separation of ownership and, and what have you learned during this period? Well, I'll preface it by saying I think it's a good thing, but let's give you a personal... Okay, good. Um, yeah. So I guess a little bit of backstory. The squad that used to own it was Squad Ostrich. They used to be the app uh, squad, which was the squad that Moran and I were on. It's now owned by the Chickens, Squad Chickens. We all have a bird name, obviously. Um, <laughs> Okay, that makes sense now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the chickens now own the mobile app. The interesting thing about that is it, the chickens sort of grew out of the ostriches. So the ostriches kind of like morphed into the chickens and the remnants of the ostriches. Hello, I'm a remnant of the ostriches. Um, <laughs> so it, it's, it's a weird sort of thing because when I joined, it was very much expected that you knew React Native and you sort of you would contribute to the API, but you'd also do the front end or a bit of the app as well. Um, and that, that's fine when you're small, but when you grow in complexity, it, it's not really feasible. You can't be um, a pocket knife. You can't be a Swiss army knife of everything, right? You need expertise, yep. which is why we um, broke it down, which is why it ended up being the chickens who formed as a new team to take on the, um, the mobile app themselves. Um, so in a way, I'm, I miss working on the mobile app, but at the same time, I'm nice. I'm happy that it's in safe hands um, with a dedicated team because it's at a size where you just can't have everyone working on it. Yeah. What's interesting as well with uh, the move to the chickens is that we just discussed how great it was to separate this mobile platform team from the product teams. Um, yeah. And actually what happened uh, somewhat recently is that this mobile platform team merged again with a product team, which are the chickens. And that's because this chicken squad was created to focus specifically on the product domain of the caregivers. Um, and the main and almost only way of interacting with Birdie for caregivers is the mobile app. And so naturally, when we looked at, okay, how can we best improve the experience of those caregivers? Is it by building new features or is it by improving the app itself? Um, so we saw that it was a mix of both, but we saw that actually making improvements on the existing app and doing its maintenance and all that, if we consider our product domain to be the experience of caregivers, then actually it's the same. It's the same incentives, it's the same goals. And so right now, uh, this mobile platform team merged again with this product team and it will remain like that until uh, 
we figure that oh actually the for the domain of the chickens the mobile app isn't the top priority anymore but yeah. now it's still in these discussions of trying to figure out what's the place of the platform and maintenance responsibilities in general versus product priorities and, and all that. And it's an ongoing journey that's, that keeps changing. I think that's an yeah. important, important note as well, because the reason we, one of the reasons we really do need to have an expert uh, dedicated to the app is it is quite easily the most core part of Birdie's product. If people on the ground can't report care, then we've got nothing. If families at home can't see what the care is being delivered, then we've got nothing. That is like the, the API can go down because the app works offline. Um, you yep. know, things can go down, but if the app stops working, it's, it's zero. Your duty is to give a really good experience to users on the ground who can use this as simply as possible. Otherwise, everything else that sits behind that app uh, not necessarily is irrelevant, not at all. But I mean, you are that vocal point between internal of the business and being external to the business customers actually using it. So it's pretty key. Yeah. And I think it's interesting too, because a lot of apps, the reason they want to be performant is they want to keep you happy. They want to keep you using the app, right? If you use an app yeah. that's really slow, you're probably not going to go back to it, or at least you'll have a negative association with it. If you've got a new yeah. app that does something really great and it's fast, then fantastic. I'm going to go back and use that again. But yeah, sort of the antithesis of what we're trying to do at Birdie, we're trying to minimize how much time you spend on the app. Yeah, You can spend more time with the person in their home. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting perspective. I, I know that it took the team at Birdie some time, and I think it would be a really good thing to explore, but it, it was around testing your assumptions against performance solutions against some performance monitoring and tooling i think that conversation's quite an interesting conversation to explore because i think a lot of technology teams can be guilty of doing that and it's brave to turn around and be quite transparent with what's worked what's not worked so do you want to start us off with that and talk to us about that yeah, uh, I, I can kick us off, Marin, unless you want to. I'll um, go for it. The, I think the most important thing is that we were entirely misled. <laughs> um, there was a correlation between a, an agency with a lot of data and having a slow app. And rather than going, okay, let's dig a bit deeper into this. Why is this? We went, oh, that makes sense because it's a lot of data, so it's slow. Um, so we just sort of assumed that was the issue. It, it wasn't the issue, it, as it turns out, but um, there was a correlation. But we assumed that because the way the Birdie app works is um, you can run it offline. When you come online, you have to be online for the first time you log in. You download quite a lot of data. Uh, and the way we persist any changes you make to that data whilst you're offline is we use Redux and Redux persist. And that we've historically found can be quite slow with big data changes. So if you write a change to a massive list of tasks, for example, that can be quite slow and that can really slow down your app. Um, and I, I, do, I do think by not investigating further, we uh, trapped ourselves into trying to figure out how to solve a problem that didn't actually exist. Well, at least the problem did, but not the one that we were trying to solve. Um, we went down a lot of paths. We ended up 
updating a lot of dependencies. We used uh, React Navigation. We were, I think, a major version behind on that, so we updated that. We started freezing our navigation stack, so any screens in the in the background weren't uh, were being frozen because um, mm -hmm. we were concerned about rendering times. Um, yep. We we uh, restricted how much data a user could download at certain points in time to try and limit that um, amount of writing. Uh, and none of this seemed to make any difference. Um, and I think the reason, and I'll, I'll let Moran talk about this, is um, was quite different. Yeah, it's essentially, if, if we start even from a very beginning, it just started with, oh, we have reports of the app being slow. What do we do about that? And the very first step is, well, you look for potential performance improvements that you can have because you know you haven't paid that much attention to it. So you go to Google, you look for React Native performance improvements and tips and stuff like that and see what you're doing wrong and see if that makes a difference. And you push it out to users and wait for feedback and you see that actually it doesn't make that much of a difference. And in general, we started from somewhere around that to going deeper and deeper into really understanding what was happening to users. Um, and so that's why we looked into the data and we found this correlation, as Tim mentioned. But once again, we just focused on, oh, okay, uh, we see a correlation between lots of data and slow performance. Okay, let's make hypotheses. Let's see what are all the things that are uh, what is this data? What are the things that are correlated with a big agency? Uh, and so we saw that it could be, well, the user informations themselves. You have more users, so more infos to store in the app. But that seemed fine. We saw that there was lots of, uh, so the permissions I mentioned before. Uh, we saw there were tasks and medications. And that when we looked at uh, the network requests that were going on in the app, for example, this looked like one of the biggest one. And so we're like, okay, that must be it. This is a lot of data to, to manage. So let's focus on that. Um, and we spent a lot of time trying to optimize the way we load tasks in the app. Um, we even looked into migrating our Redux store to something called WatermelonDB which is an SQLite-based uh, native storage uh, that uses observables and other cool things like that. Took us a lot of time, introduced lots of complexity in the app to make sure it's also backward compatible with our old screens and data and all that. Um, and it turns out in the end that it didn't make a big difference. And it's only then that we ask, okay, have we actually verified that it is actually the task causing the issue. Essentially, when we found the correlation, we made the mistake of assuming it was a causation rather than just a correlation. Um, and so that's why we looked at the other um, uh, pieces of data that were correlated with uh, more users in an agency. And we saw that permissions were probably also a good candidate, but this time, instead of just jumping to towards uh, having a fix, we introduced a new tracking tools. 
in particular, we landed on Datadog RUM, real user monitoring, because it allowed us to track user sessions, see everything that was happening, track the native performance metrics like CPU usage, memory usage, refresh rates, all those sort of things. Um, and because we thought that most of the issues were coming from uh, our Redux system, because that's what drives most of the data interactions in our app, we added some custom instrumentation as well, so that when you look at a session in Datadog Rum, we could see that, oh, on that page, we went through that reducer, that selector, that saga, it took that long, etc. Yeah, And only then did we identify the potential performance issue in the code for um, permissions, made the change, and spent a lot of time uh, doing comparisons before and after and see exactly what was the impact, what was the difference, is that really it? And that's when we were able to actually verify what was having an impact and what wasn't. Um, and we're able to compare that with other performance improvements we've tried before and so that they actually didn't have an impact, whereas this one had a massive one where we saw some 80%, sometimes 90% improvements to some of those wow. uh, processes. What was that period of time of really understanding what were some of the challenges? Um, well, it took months because, yeah, the time we took uh, looking at watermelon DB and all those other things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was multiple months. But I can imagine it's an interesting mindset shift now where you would test some assumptions that, that you have, and that's probably business widespread now where let's not be complacent. Let's not just assume we think something is the way it is because we're maybe told or we just attach to something straight away. Testing those assumptions is, is critical in any business, but especially tech. Absolutely. And well, in the chickens currently, since we're also focusing a lot on mobile performance nowadays, um, we are very uh, data-driven and testing assumptions all the time. And that's Great. on the te technical side of things, but also on the product side of things. And what we've started to do, um, so company-wide or at least on the engineering side of things, we started to um, invest a lot into having clear uh, SLOs for our services. So clear yep. objective performance metrics that you don't want to, to bridge. And we've started to take that as well all the way to the mobile app. And in particular, we make those not just technical metrics, but actual, uh, I call them almost UX SLOs, as in we identify what are the most critical paths in a user journey. Uh, and we set objectives like uh, on that that we measure with product tracking. Um, Good. That could be things like time spent on a specific screen or how many times you see that screen. Recently, we've done something on how often you see your passcode screen to enter uh, the Birdie app because it's secured by a, a passcode screen. And users were complaining that they were spending too much time on it. 
And so we've set some clear objectives on how much time you spend on that, which is then a metric that is driven both by the performance of this passcode screen, because it takes time to load, to be able to be interactable, but then it's also product and design decisions on, okay, how often should we even just display that screen and all the security constraints that come into mind. And so we did lots and lots of research on that, on what are the metrics that make sense, the most critical parts of the app, all the user insights, and all this research was actually more product and design led than engineering led, uh, which is also, I think, a, a valuable shift of mindset that performance isn't just about engineering and technical improvements. Great. And I think it's really introduced observability into the business as well, which I know we wanted to talk about because that's a relatively new thing to Birdie. Tim, do you want to kick us off and talk to us a little bit about the introduction to observability, maybe sparked by this scenario, but just generally, it'd be good to understand what you're observing. Yeah, so um, I would say this was one of the first, if not the first biggest, the first big push for um, monitoring, like being proactive as opposed to reactive in terms of our um, issues that we're having. Obviously, as we've said, the the reason we started investigating these performance improvements because, you know, users were reporting that it was slow, uh, which we ultimately decided that's not a great way for us to find out that our app is slow. Uh, we kind of need to catch that before it gets into the user's hands. So yeah, yeah, I would say this is this was a sort of spark that lit the fire under our observability ness. That's not a word. Um, <laughs> yeah, we. It is on this podcast, by the way. Absolutely. Anything goes here. I assume that's the title of this podcast, but um... <laughs> yeah, observability ness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so. Uh, one thing that I can tie this to um, quite significantly, I've moved from the, the ostriches have been moved to the storks. There's another bird for you, um, <laughs> which is all about data migration, um, which is quite a big piece. So as we're maturing, um, we're getting bigger and bigger partners and agencies using the uh, the platform. And they come with, they've probably been using a system before, or they've got um, databases worth of uh, data that they want to move onto the birdie platform when they start. Uh, and that's a big thing, right? We That's not something you can just do and not really look at it and hope it works. You have to have a system in place to monitor that and to look at that and to be able yeah. to understand, oh, we're taking up two gigabytes of memory or whatever. We need to scale this up or shift this over or slow this down or whatever. Um, we use, um, we've been using Datadog RUM in the case of the mobile app, but for these more wider observability pieces, we've started using Honeycomb, uh, which okay. can traces across um, a lot of our different services. And we can see when there are issues, you get spikes in um, errors, or if you get an increase in CPU, we have Ops Genie alarms to make sure that we are reactive, uh, proactive, because we have warning alarms to make sure that if something is spiking, we actually look at it and make sure we fix it before it actually becomes an issue. Um, Yeah, it's really become, I, I feel, as someone who's been here a while, and was asked fairly soon into joining whether I had right access to ProdDB. I feel good that we've matured quite a lot in the time that I've been here. And we, we've really sort of 
become proactive and there's still a long ways to go of course there is but um we're on the right path yeah there always is talk to us a little bit about what the rest of this year looks like you know we've been speaking for a little bit of time and i've seen quite a lot of change and growth in h1 of this year what does h2 look like for the business or even if there's technology snippets that you can give us as to what you might be looking to do in tech for the course of this year Obviously, Germany's on the cards. There's more business side, but it'd be great to know both sides. Yeah, Germany's definitely on the cards. We've uh, we've had some teething issues there. We use uh, Kubernetes pods um, for our services, and we've been spinning up new ones in Frankfurt uh, and okay. introducing a whole host of interesting different issues that we've uh, I'm not privy to fully, at least, but I know they're happening. <laughs> um, what does H2 look like? Well, as I say, I've joined the Storks. And the stocks are all about these um, big data migration pieces. Um, and I think we're going to see that across the board a lot for Birdie. We've grown a lot in the last five years, but I think in the next even half a year, we are really going to seriously start growing. Um, and I think those sorts of growing pains are going to be a problem across the board um, for us. We're going to be um, introducing a lot more data, a lot more users, um, that introduces more strain on not just the mobile app because each agency is going to have more data, but on the central servers as well because that um, is obviously going to have to handle more data. Um, I don't know, Moran, if you want to yeah. talk about the mobile app, what's coming up for that? Yeah, there will be a big focus on more mobile performance improvements uh, as well. Um, in general, um, I mentioned how we use Redux for state management and the way we use it has lots of issues um, which doesn't match our scale anymore so we'll have to look into that we have a big backlog of big and small improvements uh, we can make and thankfully now with this chickens team dedicated to that we can really have the uh, necessary resources to to make this happen and make this a great app on which we can build upon in the future and one of the biggest things, the uh, piece of maintenance we're working on as well is just general dependency upgrades for our mobile app um, because we're quite behind on React Native and Expo and other core native libraries that we use in the app. And mobile apps are living in an environment that is particularly fast Based, as in there's always new versions of Android, of iOS, mm -hmm. and rules changes, API changes, and you need to keep up with that. So even if your code works, you you need to to maintain it. And now we have lots of upgrades to do, and there are lots of works. I think um, one thing that it might be slightly tangential, but one thing that I think is interesting at Birdie is the squads do have quite a lot of autonomy. So in terms of what's coming up technologically, it is really down to the squads in terms of what technologies we use or how we use them. So for example, uh, I've now started working on a service that uses Elixir. I've never touched Elixir as a language in my life, but I am now trying to understand it coming from a TypeScript background. Um, we have a Rust service as well. We have an F sharp service. These these services were built by squads who have decided that this is the language that is going to be 
uh, most useful to them. And in a lot of cases, it's because it will be the most performant. The F-sharp one was definitely for that reason, and so was the Rust one. That's pretty cool. I've seen separation of ownership in other businesses, and they adopt that same mentality, and they say some great things. Um, I've learned a lot about the chickens today and how well they've done for the business. It's been great to have you both to really understand um, more about how impactful the mobile app is, a shift in mindset from we want our users on the app as less as possible and Tim for you to be with the business for five years and talk to us about that evolution and what's changed. It's been great. Um, of course, like you introed us, Tim, it's a fantastic app with a fantastic mission. I think everyone can get behind it. So it'll be great to see, you know, you continue to do great things in the UK, but also in Germany, I'm sure the business have a strategy to continue driving that. So I think I say on behalf of everyone that listens, the community itself, uh, do come and check these guys and girls out because they are going to be growing over the course of this year. You've heard Tim say that, but no doubt with their continued expansion, they'll be looking to hire React Native people into the teams. Tim, do you hire cross trainers into the teams considering people are autonomous around technologies? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think when you're at the interview stage, we assess A, where we think you're best going to be, but also where you most want to be. And that's an important part of Birdie. I think whilst the teams are autonomous, you are also autonomous. You can go and change teams, whatever you want to do. If I wanted to be a chicken, I could, but uh, I'm okay as a stork for now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's, um, there's definitely a lot of room for growth. Like even my move great. to mobile platform was also driven by me being vocal about wanting to focus more on front-end related technologies. And so great. that's how this strategy that we followed was in line not only with the business needs, but also the individual needs. And that's something that we, we really care about as well. Right. And as always, both LinkedIn profiles will be in the comments and descriptions below, plus career sites and people in talent acquisition for everyone listening to be able to reach out to the relevant people to express an interest if you like what you've heard today and i want to say a big thanks to birdie tim marin for coming to join us and of course you know we'll be checking in at some point in the future and see how you're getting on but thanks to the both of you for everyone else please like share subscribe and all of that good stuff for us and continue pushing this pod out thank you for having us thanks guys Observabilityness podcast <laughs> exactly observabilityness and the chickens <laughs> thanks guys thank you mate. thank you hey guys thanks for watching this episode uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us if you want to find out more about us and what we're doing please check us out on social media what we're trying to do at engineers is build a community to drive knowledge sharing and experiences on twitter we can be found at engineers.io it's no underscore we've also got a website which is engineers.io these links will all be posted in the description any feedback and comments are massively appreciated we're always looking to improve on where we can thanks guys